This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for coming. Appreciate your presence. Okay, so you're all canceled. You can go home. It's over. Pack it up. So we're so excited to talk to you today about navigating scandal. Um, here's what we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about how we think about partnership considerations from a network perspective as well as an advertiser perspective. Uh, we're going to talk about how we plan for the worst from both sides of the situation. And then what happens when inevitably something might go wrong. And then if you have any questions, we're going to be sticking around to answer them. So who are we? I am Lindsay Pipershaw. I'm a director of Offline at Right Side Up. We work with brands on podcast and other offline media initiatives. Who Hi. Are you? Thank you for coming. My name is Thomas Mancusi. I am the chief revenue officer of Audioboom. I've uh, been in podcasting for 10 years now, and Audioboom is my fourth company. That's great work. So Thomas and I work together really closely on advertising initiatives, so we've done a lot of campaigns together, navigated hard situations, and you have to make a plan with your partners. So we really wanted to give a perspective from both sides of how campaigns operate to give advice on keeping a cool head, making sure that you are being a good partner during really challenging times. So we're gonna start with partnership considerations. So Thomas, when you are just like the very first thing you're doing, you are working with certain shows. What are some things that you look for in terms of your partnership with certain shows? As a company, Audio Boom has a business development team. So before I even get to sell the shows, they do their due diligence, um, whether that's Google search, checking their person's past history. Uh, we also ask our partners like Right Side Up if they've heard anything, if this um, potential controversial show or host um, was that another network prior, if there was any issues or issues um, with their clients not wanting to work with them? So that would be one thing. Um, if there is some sensitivity and we find out there might be some, we actually go internal and go to the employees at Audioboom and we ask every one of them, no matter you know, what sex they are, what race they are, what age they are, how they feel about it and if they would be comfortable working with this show or personality. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, uh, everybody at Audio Boom touches a show, no matter what their department is. So everyone has to be comfortable working with that mm -hmm. potential controversial host. So there's a baseline level of trust that you're establishing at the network level, at the partnership level, on your side, where you feel comfortable that nothing's going to go wrong. I mean, even as the um, medium matured over the last 10 years or more, um, agents, talent agents are involved, so we actually rely on them as well, since mm -hmm. we have uh, relationships on that side of the business that go back for many years and future business. So, you know, we hope they would be candid enough if there was any issues as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. but does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, of course. Right. So, part of the talk that we're doing today is not just from the creator side, but also from the brand side. And more often uh, in my recent uh, history, we've seen that sometimes brands can act badly and that can blow back on the host. So as you are considering partnership with brands, are there certain considerations that you are thinking about when vetting talent with a brand and like how you think about partnership with brands? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we look at the demo, we look at the male-female comp and all that, but it's more if it's, um, really what we do is, before we even work with the show, Jordan gets on the phone with them over there and does a whole itinerary of questions. Mm -hmm. Do you want to work with, do you have a dog, do you have kids? So what kind of brands should we stay away from? Who do you already like to work with? So it's about being proactive and doing that due diligence up front. Um, that would be like the first step. And then really, you brought up vetting. To me, when it comes to podcasting and from a show level, you're getting an organic read that they're gonna personally endorse. So, and you actually give them that product to try, um, whether it's, ex, you know, I, I don't wanna say brands, because if you <laughs> don't remember. We're gonna try and keep this as anonymous yeah, as possible. I'm not gonna say shows or brands. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's an organic ad read, and by default, it is, passing brand infinity, mm -hmm. and it, 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 it almost fixes a lot of the issues that could arise in the future. Yeah, and I know a lot of um, times working on the brand side, some creators decline partnership. So there is a process in which they say no for certain reasons, and it could be they don't like the way they do business, there's been maybe some recent news, or they just don't identify with that brand, and they want to not sound inauthentic to their audience. So I feel like that's part of the pre-process. It is. I mean, you know, we, we have shows who, you know, it's a big show. I'm not going to name names, but only agrees to 42% of the vets. So at the end of the day, it makes it very difficult for me as a monetization guy to try to sell that show out. But at the same time, the few brands that this person will accept to do a personal endorsement for, they're more effective because mm -hmm. she's truly genuine about the brand. So it's okay to say no if you're not comfortable. So, And just to bring up one other point, like we've even had podcasters who have been working with a particular brand for two or three years. Mm -hmm. You know, running an ad read once a month, 12 weeks, that's an annual in podcasting. And if you buy, you know, so they were doing 36 spots for this guy, for this, this brand for three years. And then something happens with the brand. It gets negative press. Maybe it makes somebody sick or something doesn't work. Um, and they are so authentic about their brands and podcasting that they proactively reach out to us. And despite the money, despite the partnership for multiple years, they just stopped working with this brand. We've had yeah. two or three shows do that in the last month or so. And that's something we'll talk about a little bit, um, just what to do if something does go wrong and like the perspective from the host of how to, you know, approach that challenge. So we trust our, our partners uh, in our shows and our networks to do their due diligence and make sure that they are quote unquote brand safe for the partners that they're working with for their ads. Uh, but advertisers also have to do their due diligence. So how does that work on that side of the aisle? How are they approaching this to make sure that they're not gonna get blowback from any potential scandal from talent. So there are certain tools that advertisers use. Um, Magellan and Podscribe are two tools that are used in research purposes. You can do keyword searches. So if there's something a brand might be sensitive about, they can do some research into that. Um, Oxford and Barometer are looking into and developing tools for brand safety. Uh, Spotify announced in June that they're also developing a third party um, tool to look into that. So there's a lot of resources, um, but more than that, it usually is an internal conversation. It could even be a little more intimate than that. Like um, Jordan today was talking about a show we sell in the UK and that one of her brands 
actually went and goes and listens to three of the last shows of every show before they even buy it. Yes. And they want to they want to hear the con the hear the host. They want to see the content. And that used to be commonplace back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, but now there's just the the medium is just so quick. Everything's moving so fast. So these companies that um, Lindsay just mentioned will fill fill that hole and do have a, a place in this. Um, Ecos, you know, yeah. the ecosystem. But to your point, there is some personal touch you need to do brand to brand. So there's going to be different uh, methods of doing that. It might be looking at the past episodes, looking at podcast episode titles. That has been a common theme I've seen. But more so than that, it's like the themes of the podcasts or the episodes. Are they comfortable with news and politics? Which side of the aisle? Are they comfortable with talking about sex and dating and relationships? There may be a line internally where if someone's talking about that, it may make someone clutch their pearls and get a little upset. So a lot of conversation happens internally about setting certain boundaries, uh, which would, can set up the, sh the show selection. Definitely. And I think we almost have to take a step back, right? It's about brand safety. Mm -hmm. um, and the word controversial is used a lot. <laughs> And I remember when I used to say, uh, I'm going to age myself, but in the late 90s, I would sell five reads across the country for Howard Stern. Mm -hmm. And that was radio, you know, FCC. But the reason there was because if somebody's uh, father was driving a kid to school that morning and was listening to Howard Stern at 7.30 and they were in the back seat of the car, it could be controversial. Yeah. Podcasting is pretty damn intimate. You know, you don't listen to a podcast at a barbecue. And if you're in sales, you could use that as a sales point. But there is, there is no controversial because the person who is going out for that content is actively seeking it in, a, in an intimate relationship of one-to-one -one and already has an affinity for the, the host. So the, the, like, the likeliness of that being controversial like in that aspect, it doesn't really happen too often. No, but in the wider scope, it's like more of the the external sentiment about that. The person that's seeking the podcast has that relationship with the podcaster. They want that content. It's not controversial to them. Or if it is, they enjoy it for some reason. But when something happens, it gets wider. And that's where it can get out of control, where people are listening and seeing something on Twitter and that blowback to the brand. So I think that there is um, some ways to think about planning to mitigate some risk. A lot of discussions with reps, we have a lot of conversations with us, like, what do you think? Are you feeling comfortable? Do you have any doubts? So um, keeping an open and honest dialogue about that is super important. So despite our best laid plans and doing all of our due diligence, doing all of our research, there is a, a point where we do have to plan for the worst. So nothing's gonna go wrong, right? Of course it won't. It always goes wrong. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it does. So on our side, you know, we do a lot of education to the brands and advertisers that this is, um, this is a channel that is consumed intimately. However, the hosts are influencers to a certain degree and their words or actions can get out a little bit wider. So understanding how the mechanism of podcasting works like there are ads that are baked in. There are, you know, like the influencer has an Instagram, and even if they do something on Instagram, that may blow back on advertisers on the podcast. So there's a lot of education that um, we do for brands, but do you have that same perspective in terms of talking with advertisers directly? Um, we do, but not, not, to be honest, not really to any large degree. Um, I think it more comes down, you know, our master list of shows speaking for, for 
Audio Boom. Um, there's 220 shows in the U.S. and based on the demographics and everything, it's it's really just the knowledge that we have. Yeah. Um, based <laughs> You're on all pros. based on what works for other brands yeah. and knowing that no one's ever complained before, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I think if you are a creator, understanding that your actions within your show, within the ads, within your podcast is fine. You have that intimacy with your listeners. However, we know that you are on social, you have newsletters, and the pickup of your other avenues can be detrimental to relationships and other channels. So that is something that we talk about a lot. Um, the, so in terms of preparation, prepping statements internally. So what we want to do is not overreact. If we know that something is coming, because spoiler alert, something always happens, we need to prepare teams that are internal at brands. So that's your social team, that's your customer service team, that's your PR team. So they understand, hey, we're doing a podcast campaign. It involves influencers, it involves personalities. Here are the bounds that we talked about internally, what we're comfortable with. You need to also understand that if you get a tweet, maybe we don't go crazy and burn it all down and say we denounce everything and go to the nth yeah. degree to defend that decision to an anonymous person on Twitter. So that's generally speaking how we approach it. Like we want to approach it with a calm head. I don't want to go to my network rep and surprise them and say, hey, we denounced all of our partnerships with you because we got a tweet and now I have to cancel because of the masses. I mean, I, I just experienced that recently. and. Um, <laughs> We, we had done a due diligence on everything. We just didn't expect a different point of view of this person's, whether it be religion or ethnicity or something. I'm not gonna get into particulars, but there was a side that was very against this host, and this side went after all of our brands on our website. Um, we had to take down the website right away. Um, they went after their employees. They went after the brands direct on Facebook. Uh, this emailed CMOs, and, and you know, we didn't expect that. Yeah, people can be really ruthless online, and sometimes it is a coordinated campaign, which can feel very terrifying to brands. It is. It's it's almost like an, you can see the algorithm almost, and and it's coming from one place, but they do. It's it's really just a very very vocal minority. Um, and they're doing it based on their own reasons, mm -hmm. uh, selfish reasons, I should say. Yeah, so on the advertiser side, we're prepping for, who knows, a Twitter horde or like some customer service emails, but on the show side, are you preparing them for potential blowback if they are partnered with any brands that may get heat? I know there was um, someone in the FinTech space, an article came out and it was not painting them in a great light, and what we were seeing were hosts getting upset because they have a relationship with their fans. They are on Reddit, they are on you know Facebook groups, and they have this direct, intimate relationship with them that's now in peril because they think, oh, you support this brand doing this very bad thing that I saw one article about. Yeah, it, ha it happens often, whether it's their Twitter following or their Patreon people, they, they get that feedback and they take it to the, even if it's a small minority that is saying it, you know, they'll email us and ask us to not work with that brand or please cancel that. And it's not worth it to us, like, and just yeah. move on. And do you coach them on just how to respond, like, in real time, like, we're evaluating this, like, not to jump to any conclusions as you evaluate the partnership on what to do? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we talk to them. We usually go right to your teams or, you know, the brand director or an agency, if there's an agency involved, and, you know, first alert them to the issue, mm -hmm. um, how we're handling it, and, or, or exactly, um, in this case, that, unfortunately, we no longer want to work with you. Sure, that's an outcome that could happen. Which doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. <laughs> um, and they'll go to their brand, and the brand comes back with uh, uh, words, and then they say, you know, can they make, can they change the copy to, you know, the show wants to change the copy to bring up the current event that maybe is affecting the brand. So it just comes down to trust with the audience, and it, it's, it's left up to each host. It's mm -hmm. left up to each content creator. They know their audience is best, and we leave it up to them. Yeah. And we pretty much just, you know, we try to go back and forth and come back with the statement. And I mean, there was this, this one example that was recent, went back and forth with the client three times. Uh -huh. But it just was, the, the, the host was never satisfied with mm -hmm. the messaging that they could personally do to their audience. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and that goes back to the authenticity. In the end, if it really truly is not gonna work for them and that is a, that's just a no-go, that's the boundary that's been crossed, they, they don't wanna work with a brand like that, I think that's an okay answer too. But in the process of conversation, it needs to be a two-way street of not just a reaction, of it's more so a conversation. It's a, it's a partnership at the end of the day. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I think on both sides of things, if you're a host that's considering partnership, like just be prepared that something may come out about that brand. And it's so difficult, it feels like you're so out of control in that regard, but having that moment of just like, just thinking it through, not getting too heated and talking to your partner can really make sure that you're preserving a relationship if you do want to preserve it or taking an action and, and really standing behind your decision. I mean, the issue is going to happen, hopefully. Hopefully it's a long-term relationship mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's going to arise every four to five months. So there's no reason <laughs> to panic. We're not saving lives. Um, the relationship is between the two human beings. So mm -hmm. just stay kind and Try to help one another. Yeah, I don't know if you can tell, but we're feeling very calm about this. Sometimes when issues come up, it's very reactive and everyone's very terrified. We're feeling a little bit cool and calm. We've seen some stuff, so it's okay, we promise. And to that degree, even if we're prepared, we've talked to internal people, we have a plan of action just in case to cool the head. What is going to happen? Disaster, it strikes. Someone does something, so the host is now under fire for doing something absolutely insane and the first thing that I always recommend to brands is to just hold on a second. There was a recent example where there was a misinterpretation of what actually was wrong. I got an email on a Sunday night freaking out. A PR person at the team like got a Google alert about our ad being served and, and it looked like it was on porn on YouTube. And that's terrifying, as from a brand safety perspective, I can understand why a PR person was freaking out. However, within two minutes of investigation into this, we realized it was part of our strategy to sell a very particular product. It was on a sex and health and wellness show, and it was added value that was put onto YouTube that was perfectly within the realms of what was standard and expected. And we were like, no, no, we, we knew this was coming, it's okay. But the internal sentiment was so explosive that it, w it became an issue internally that really was resolved within 24 hours with just conversation because we did not freak out. So 
the first thing that we always recommend is to just hold on a second. Um, How often does that happen? Oh. No, I'm serious. Like, yeah. I, I'm not on your side. Yeah. And I'm just really curious, like, how many, how often, how many times a month, or does it does it happen more than you? For than every it used brand, to happen, does it happen more now? Yeah, I would say for every brand, there's usually an issue once a quarter that something comes up where something goes awry, um, and and it usually stems from miscommunication internally. We're talking across teams at brands, and that's something that also the, the host should know too. Um, when you're working with a company, it's not just the person you contracted the ad with. You know that there's so many other team members that go into this, and even at the brand side, there's PR teams, there's social teams, there's execs, there's lawyers, there's compliance departments. So those people have eyes on the programs, but don't have all the contacts and don't have all the information of the strategy behind it. So about once every quarter for a brand that's a long-sustaining brand in the channel, something will freak them out. Something will come up is of it, varying degrees of yeah. extremity. Is it more, because I mean, Right Side Up handles more than just podcasting. Mm -hmm. Is podcasting getting it, getting it more than another medium, like video or? Um... <laughs> you know, YouTube is an, an interesting arena. Okay. I think that there's a lot of eyes on YouTube and um, you know, the people that are getting angry are the people that live on the internet. What are they consuming more than anything? YouTube. So that's somewhere where it has been difficult. It's not to say it's unique. It also happens on podcasts. But the nature of podcasters is that they aren't just siloed into a podcast. They have other channels. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. They're on TikTok. So it's uh, more so that it potentially could happen in a different channel. But we're contracting in podcasts. So the brands are associated with that person, whether that issue and that challenge happened on podcast or not. I mean, I have a show, or yeah, we sell a show where the mother did something five years ago, and it still comes up to this day. Like, it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy. And I, I have agent, a whole agency who won't even touch the show. But it's a, one of the top performing shows and still sells out. Yeah. I actually know what show you're talking about, and there was an issue once with just something that was said on an offhanded comment, and we had an ad in it, and it was like I spent all day just trying to communicate and just bring down the temperature of the room. But you never know what they're going to say on a podcast. It may, you may have done all the research, and it just goes awry. And it wasn't meant to be on purpose. They have all the best intentions. We know that our partners have done their due diligence and that they're, you know, we can trust you. You trust them, the transitive property. We're trusting the host. But still things go awry. So that's where we're communicating with our rep, like, to really understand what went wrong here. I mean, if we're holding on and saying what actually happened and we're interpreting correctly and we determine, okay, well, that was messed up. Like, that actually was a problem. Going to our rep and saying, hey, we have an issue with this. What should we do? And my question to you, Thomas, is what's the best way a brand can approach you when things are heated and how can they partner with you in a productive way during crisis? It's a very hard question to answer, actually. <laughs> um, the, the best way is just, you know, these four things you have on the slide, really. What? <laughs> is really the best way um, to do it with a level head. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we, we can react pretty quick. You could take the ad out. Mm -hmm. um, that's happened many times. Um, you know, you try to do it as soon as possible. You know, 72% of the consumption of a podcast is usually done within the first 48 hours or 72 hours. Um, so, 
you try to you try to be able to react as quickly as possible and communicate as quickly as possible and get it done. Um, fortunately, it doesn't happen that often, but when it does, trying to pull out the ad is the best example you can do and mm -hmm. of course give back some value as a make good of course so in the communication phase uh, you know talking about options is one of your go-to's like hey we can pull the ad I, I would say like is that the hardest of the optimization levers or like crisis management levers or are there other things you can do kind of in that moment in, in that moment it's really the only thing you could do okay I mean if, if, <laughs> if they want some immediacy and they're freaking out I mean we try to talk to them but at the yeah. end of the day it's customer service. Sure. If it's a pain point, just give them the, the, the answer to the pain. Yeah, and I think you know that is uh, very accommodating. That is not possible for all networks and shows. Uh, that goes back to the education piece of this, of educating internal teams that a lot of these are embedded. It's difficult unless you have a partner like Thomas to pull the ad, and it may live in there forever, and we need to be okay with that. But honestly, the the part of this process of holding and communicating is understanding the news cycle of things moving so quickly. Are we understanding this problem correctly? Yes. Is this going to sustain more than 24 hours? I mean, the news cycle is moving so quickly. I mean, you're right, because as many times as something will come across the screen and we're told something or a town did this on, and we think it's going to be horrible, but nothing happens. Yeah, yeah. Like one BuzzFeed article can be in the ecosystem for 24 hours and then we're on to the next scandal. So I think that's also something you consider when you are in the freak out mode, the host is doing something. Is that really going to last in the news cycle for more than 24 hours? And by the time you figure it out and we've like gotten back to each other on phone call, it may be irrelevant. So that is super important. Um, and then for us, like after we get the options on the table, we've communicated with you in a very calm manner. What can we do? Uh, we have to align with internal teams once again and go back to the plan of action, which is, are we putting out a statement on the internet, denouncing or saying something towards that influencer? Are we saying something neutral in general? Um, or are we not saying anything at all? And from my perspective, to not flame, you know, fan the flames of controversy, I advise brands to not denounce, not criminalize, not go after them on Twitter, not feed the mob. In the world of sound bites, you're better off not saying anything. Yes. So when I'm advising brands, it really is a more general statement of, you know, we're looking into this, which is true. We're evaluating the partnership, which is true. But in the end, is it any of their business to look into the complex strategy of why we chose to do what we did within our podcast campaign? My opinion is no. You can't explain strategy that goes through marketing teams and partnerships across networks of why we chose to continue with a show or not continue with a show. It's complex strategy. It's really difficult to explain in a tweet or explain in one customer service email or put out in a PR statement. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, um, that's our strategy on bringing down the temperature, but what is really helpful is preparing your teams to align on what you're going to say. If you are saying one thing on Twitter and something else, you know, internally or in customer service emails, people will not be happy with that resolution. And does the same thing go for the the hosts? If you, do you advise them not to jump on Twitter and start <laughs> chattering? Um, they do. 
<laughs> Sometimes they do. Um, I mean, I've even heard an example yesterday of it turning into something positive. It was a different network, a different host, nothing I've ever been involved with, mm -hmm. but I was talking about this. But yeah, no, um, normally the host, uh, usually depending on their personality, could say something on Twitter and affect yeah. uh, business in a negative manner. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a big, a big point is how does this affect the business um, on both sides of the aisle. Like, if we had a sustaining partnership, and you know, for years, and it's a great advertiser that works really well with the hosts, and some news story comes out where it says like this brand is terrible, something horrible has happened. You have to evaluate what the business impact is for your business, the creator's business, and what they're losing by taking it off the table. Oh, nothing's better than them telling us, oh, we don't want to work with that brand that's scheduled to run in two weeks, and then a week later going, why is there one spot unsold? <laughs> Decisions. <laughs> but yes, um, no, it, it's at a loss of revenue. It, it could be considerable. It could be six figures. And um, we try to make it up with other brands. Yeah. Or just go after one of their competitors. Sure. But we're having the same conversations too, is what are the business impacts of losing this creator? Because that's value. You're bringing in acquisitions, you're bringing in customers. And we know the number of what we're leaving on the table for a sustained partnership through the end of the year. So that's something that understanding the impact and aligning on what we're leaving on the table, what we're potentially losing, I think we're having conversations for both of us about that. So aligning on, are we all aware of what we're losing, what we're leaving on the table, are we gaining anything by not continuing this partnership? Communicating back to you and aligning like, hey, we gotta cancel and not blindsiding your partners and doing it in a weird way where you're saying something on Twitter and you're finding out, like really aligning and, and continuing that partnership through crisis, not in a silo separately and just informing them, I think is the best way to move forward. Just so, I mean, with such a one-to-one -one business, have you ever felt burned or like? No, I don't think it's, okay. not, I don't take business personally. Mm, um, <laughs> it's not about, you know, either way. Um, no, it's not about me, but it's not the reason why yeah. we're canceling. And yes. um, it, it's fine. Look it's at this level head. I love it. <laughs> so once you're aligned, then it's time to act. And that is putting out your probably generic statement if we've advised you on doing anything and just taking action and then moving on. We don't need to live in this world where we're dwelling on anything. You don't need to put out a notes app apology that lives on your Instagram feed forever and ever. I think that I have the perspective that you don't owe the masses the explanation of the complex strategy. And sometimes shit happens, sorry. But it's not going to be the end of the world forever and partnerships change, they evolve, and that's okay. And then finally, just reevaluating how we approach this. I think going back to step one and saying the guidelines that we set for ourselves, the internal boundaries, the conversations that we had with you, you know, are those still relevant? Do they still apply? Do we need to tighten our belts a little bit and say like, okay, like of the catalog, maybe we don't go down this road or maybe we need to have another type of questioning for our partnerships um, is really important in understanding like how did we communicate internally? Did we give enough information? Do we educate enough or do we need to do a better job of that? So the other, oh, sorry, the mic. Um, the same things apply for, a, for the brand if they're under fire, for you. I think that we've kind of covered this a little bit, but can you talk through how you approach just like, oh my gosh, this article came out about a brand that did something terrible. We're freaking out, what do we do? Yeah, I mean, like I, I did cover this actually. I mean, we had it happen uh, a month or two ago and 
You know, there's press. I'm reading about it myself. Mm -hmm. Someone at work says, hey, did you see this? It's, uh, you know, it's gaining more and more press. There's lawsuits. Um, and you're just waiting for the email. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe we should, you know, as I was setting up here, maybe we, we should have been proactive and said, mm -hmm. you know, went to the brand beforehand, said, listen, we know this is going to be an issue for some of our shows, and sent it out to them uh, proactively might have changed their You're outcome. Reevaluating, yeah. I like so that. Instead, He's listening. Yeah. Instead of we just sat there, I was waiting for the clock ticking, and certain, sure enough, two of some major personalities uh, were like, "No, we're not working with this brand mm -hmm. anymore." And like I said, we went back and forth. The brand had the opportunity. The show was willing to work with them, but they would have to change the copy. It was a three-year um, client that they had a great, and the host loved the brand itself. But at the end of the day, they held, they communicated it, they aligned and acted it. When they reevaluated, they said they no longer wanted to work with the brand. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I think the overarching advice is to bring the temperature down, like truly understand what the problem is, and have an open and honest dialogue with between the host, the network, the brand, and understand what's going on. You could be misinterpreting something. Maybe the explanation is okay, you know, that the brand gives. And then everything's fine, and we just move on. But if you're freaking out in the moment, you can't even hear what they're explaining. You're just jumping to cancel. In this example, I almost wish the brand let them do the copy because... Mm -hmm. They couldn't get away from it. It, it, mm. it was everywhere, and like just talk about the problem in like yeah, address like just, it. Just be yeah, you know, just address what's already in the press that anybody could just Google and figure it out, or yeah. you know, and that maybe informs the listeners about like, hey, this is why I'm continuing with this brand. Yeah, and, and the and the hosts aren't going to go after that brand, or, or less likely to go on that brand on Twitter if they know that that agency has 20 other advertisers. <laughs> Yes. That's the business impact that we so, just have to discuss. So that's actually what I talk about. So there was an issue the other day, and I'm like, you know, I do my due diligence. I pull up the agency and how many brands are on the show. And I'm like, you're doing this, but just know they have, you work with 14 other brands. Of course. Yeah, what's that business impact if you alienate uh, that buyer? So that's something to consider, too. But cooler heads prevail. I think that's the way we do partnership. It's such a one-to-one -one business. It still is. And I think that's you have to talk as humans to each other. And sometimes people mess up. And sometimes they mean it and sometimes they don't. But how do we move forward in partnership together and figure out problems together, not siloed with PR teams that aren't communicating with partners? Or, or lying or holding it up. A lot of people would just try to kick it down the, yeah. the can with a couple of lies or inaction and hope it goes away. Mm -hmm. and, and these points that you bring up are really important to get that done. Do you want to ask questions? Oh, yeah, we have questions and answers. Um, okay, so we have um, some time for questions and answers if there are any, so let us know if you have any questions. He's from the IAB. One in the back. What? He's from the IAB, so be careful. <laughs> we have some IAB terms and conditions to protect us. Yeah, not a terms and conditions question. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't have even thought about it until you said that um, you might need to be careful. Oh, sorry. I hadn't even thought about it until you said that you might need to be careful 
Um, if you are a creator, if you're a host, and you say you don't want to work with a particular brand, but then that brand is represented by an agency with a bunch of others. So like, how often do, do, do agencies actually, I don't know if the word is retaliate, but do they really come back and say, you better keep working with this? No, brand? no, the agency won't say that, but okay. the, the issue of the talent going on Twitter then pissing off the brand to the point where the agency doesn't want to work with them because they're afraid that might happen again in the future. Okay. So that, that's really the issue there. Okay. Um, you know, some of these right side up uh, deals with probably, I'm going to be wrong, but probably 30, 40 brands in the podcast space. I, I mean, uh, higher. <laughs> I, I only get 34, so that means I'm missing some, <laughs> which is not great, but I digress. But yeah, so that, that's, really, that's really the reason. You just don't, the purchasing power of the agency, you don't want to affect that. There's not that many players in this space that are concentrating on direct response. Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, I probably, there's probably five or six agencies that make up 70% of all the revenue going into the space, direct response, but not the branding from mm -hmm. the, you know, the major advertising agencies. And I think that goes back to the one-to-one -one relationship that we have. Like, we're all humans, and you know, no human is perfect if they feel like they got burned or feel like the relationship faltered and the partnership wasn't there, that can affect their choices and whether it's intentional or not. Thank I'm glad you. to see you here. I think the IAB is very important uh, in their terms and conditions to include for safety reasons as well. Didn't mention that, but that's important. Any other questions? Hi. Hello. Um, I'm Michelle, I'm from Salem Media, so we do a lot of conservative and Christian at our company, and I just want to say, my colleague and I are sitting here, and this is one of the most reasonable discussions I've ever seen in like 15 years, and we've done work with you, Lindsay, and you've been wonderful, and I also just love the idea of, you know, let's be proactive, and let's see what we can do, and let's tell the host what they're doing ahead of time. Like, it's not brain surgery. I think if everyone's on the same page going in and you know things are gonna happen, you just plan accordingly. And just thank you for being so reasonable. Of course. <laughs> thank you, Michelle, we love you. So I have a different type of question. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's not a lot of things that I'm good at, but I'm a pretty damn good host. How do you become a host for hire? A host for hire? Like you're talking, like, to, do you line with an agency? I mean, I'm in branding. I represent a brand right now. Yeah. Um, and I'm the host for our company brand. But I'm seeing this avenue in my life where I found something that I'm actually really good at. So how do you get in the door to become a host for hire where multiple brands might utilize your service? Yeah, I mean, it's about creating content, getting a certain amount of consumption, first of all. Um, there's a number that people talk about in podcasting. They say 10,000 listens per episode, which, you know, you gotta, that means at least you got to have 50,000. Um, I call them listens. I don't say downloads. I don't say impressions. 50,000 listens in a one-month period of time. That would be able to monetize with a network like Audioboom or other networks out there. Um, if the content is great, like uh, you know, then you'll have that audience. And once you have that audience, then would be the next step to come to somebody like an Audioboom or a, a Podcast One or a Cast Media or any of these 47 networks that are mm -hmm. in podcasting today. And we would work with you because we see value. The meteoric rise or the hockey stick growth in podcasting 
not only in the consumption level, it's in the individual shows too. There's a show, Morbid, which is hard for me to talk about, but we worked with them for years, and you know they, they used to have 30,000 listens, and by the time I was done selling it, it was 1.2 million. Amazon gave them X amount of dollars, probably $200 million, probably, something like that, 150. Um, you know, they had regular day jobs. They created great content. People consume that content. Once you have the audience, you can monetize them. And then you could be a host or, or a host for a brand all day long. Yeah, and then you create the relationship with listeners so that, you know, when a brand comes in and does something bad, then your listeners will yell at you. Yeah, fire. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that's the most difficult thing, right? Um, you know, the, you have the fire to get there, but mm -hmm. now, now you got to sit there and do all that hard work. Do we have time for one more question? I saw one more question. More. We'll, we'll do quick. Yeah. Hi there. My name is Dedeker Winston. I'm with the Multi Amory Podcast. Um, so we're on the hosting side, and we run into that same situation that you mentioned, Lizzie, many times, where there's an advertiser that we like working with, and then one article comes out and we start getting the tweets or Instagram messages or things like that. And so what you're sharing about just having an open conversation with networkers, advertisers, stuff like that makes a lot of sense. Um, because we've really felt stifled by it. it feels like in those situations, the only options are either react and pull the ad or just ignore it and hope that it goes away. And so I was wondering, like, have you run into any situations where advertisers are actually open to doing things like changing the copy so that the hosts can be just like real and honest and upfront about like, yeah, we did the evaluation and this is what we decided and that's why we're continuing to work with this. I know you mentioned the advertiser who was not willing to do that, but I was just wondering if you had any success stories there. Yeah, I think we're open to that conversation. That's where like a PR team may be involved and they're like, well, like, I'm not sure. At that point, there's a little bit more of eyeballs across teams that are on that, but I think that's where the partnership comes in, and because of the nature of the channel, we do have those types of conversations of like, what can we do creatively? How can we message this? Knowing that the host has a community of listeners that we tap for the specific reason of their relationship with them. So preserving that is important. What is the format of your podcast? What are the options? No, no, is it, is it like on Apple iTunes, what is the format? Does it say... Um, comedy? Does it say true crime? Is it sex and health? Is oh, we're, we're in probably sex, health, self-help I mean, I knew that by the yeah. question, obviously, right? So that's why I asked. Yeah. But the, the answer to that is yes. Um, I used to sell sex with Emily back in the day, um, years ago. And back then, it was more of an intimate medium. So you were, you were dealing directly with... The host would actually get on every phone call um, with the brand whether it was Steve Austin or Mark Marin or uh, Adam Carolla or Sex with Emily, whoever it was, they would actually get on the phone with the brand. So it used to never be an issue. And we can get on the phone with the brand, you know, later on. So I think have that open conversation continually, keep in touch in the partnership and work through issues together. But the, yes, they, they, they did tell the copy differently for that genre of shows. Mm -hmm. All right, that's all the time we have. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. Thank you for coming. Goodbye. Thank you.